0: A spoiled son with a coat of many colors. And now suddenly, he's a piece of property. He's in a foreign land. He doesn't speak the language. He has no rights. This world is turned upside down. And I believe that we discover in this passage what happens when things don't go our way.
1: Dare to dream. That's our challenge next Welcome to Moody Presents with the president of Moody Bible Institute, Dr. Mark Job. And if we've never met, I'm John Geiger here with a question. What happens when your dreams are hijacked? How do you guard against bitterness? Pastor Mark says we need to dare to dream. Now, what does he mean by that? And what's the biblical foundation? Well, there's plenty to learn from the life of Joseph. Why not head to Genesis chapter 39 in your Bible right now? As Pastor Mark opens today's message, here on Moody Presents.
0: Dare to dream. Sometimes dreams are good, sometimes they're bad. When they're bad, we call them nightmares. I heard of two men that had kind of a wager going. They were asking themselves whether there would be baseball in heaven. They were both very, very strong baseball fanatics. And so they made a deal. They said, hey... Whoever goes first will try to contact the person on earth and let him know whether there is baseball in heaven or not. So sure enough, one of them died. And he showed up in a dream to his friend. And in his dream, he said to his friend, I have good news and bad news. He said, tell me the good news. He said, the good news is there is baseball in heaven. The bad news is you're pitching on Friday. You know, some of our dreams are good and some of our dreams are bad. We began to talk about what it means to have a God-given vision and dream and to allow God to fulfill His plan in our life so that those visions and dreams come true. Here's what I know about visions and dreams. I know that every single person in this auditorium, you have a destiny, God has a plan and a vision for your life to fulfill. I know this about every person in this auditorium. Your life is not just a bunch of happenstance circumstances that happen arbitrarily. I know this, that God has designed you for a purpose, for a destiny, with a plan, and He has deposited within your heart, even when you were a baby, He deposited a dream, a burden, a vision, a sense that you are called to something, an understanding that Your life has meaning and a purpose. I believe that God has created every single individual with that. You may have forgotten the dream. You may be ignoring the dream. You may have become cynical so that you don't believe in the dream and the call upon your life, but it doesn't take away from the fact that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. In Genesis chapter 39, we learn about Joseph, the dreamer, and what happens when your dreams are hijacked, or when people and things and circumstances try to hijack your dreams. We left off in chapter 37 of Genesis, where Joseph had been treated unfairly by his brothers, and because of jealousy and hatred and bitterness, his brothers decided that they would take him and they would sell him to a caravan of people going by that took him to a distant land, the land of Egypt. We pick up 39 and the Bible tells us in verse 1 of chapter 39, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So when we pick up in chapter 39, we discover that Joseph now is a slave. There's been a major transition in Joseph's life. He's gone from being a spoiled son with a coat of many colors, having the favor of his father, not having to work, being treated special. And now suddenly, he's a piece of property. He's in a foreign land. He doesn't speak the language. He has no rights. He's been bought off of an auction block like you would buy a mule or a horse. And he finds himself, his world is turned upside down. And I believe that we discover in this passage what happens when things don't go our way. To be honest with you, there's not a person in this auditorium that doesn't know about disappointment. Every person in this auditorium, you've had plans that haven't gone your way. You've had dreams sometimes that you thought were going to be fulfilled and you find yourself at the opposite end of the spectrum. You thought you would be married until you were old and you would walk with your husband 80 years old hand in hand, but three years into your marriage it fell apart. Maybe you had a business plan and you got the investors and the money came together and you had dreams to start a business that would be powerful and great and supply for your family and you would give to those that were in need and suddenly you're two years into it and you've had to file bankruptcy. Maybe there's some of you here that thought that your health would last for a long time and you've gotten a bad report from the doctor and it's just not the way you planned it. Some of you thought, I'm going to go get that education that I need. I'm going to get that degree. And suddenly you find yourself in a place where no degree, no education, working at a job that you feel is a dead-end job and you say, God, I don't understand what happened with my dream. It tells us in verse 2 of chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. You know, I love that little phrase because I think Joseph could have thought, where is God when life is not turning out the way I planned it? In fact, I think this is where the first hijacker tried to come and hijack Joseph's dream. I believe if you are going to Guard against the hijackers of your life, you need to be prepared to guard against the hijacker of bitterness. But think about it for a minute. Joseph had all the reason in the world to become bitter. He had, his family had disowned him, his brothers had betrayed him, his dream had collapsed, he was a slave. Why not become bitter? A lot of us, when life doesn't turn out our way, that's exactly what we do. We begin to become bitter against circumstances. We check out. We feel like I've been treated unfairly, so I will have this nasty attitude, or I will quit what I'm doing, because the natural tendency when we're hurt and when things don't go our way is to either quit or to become bitter. How many of you know that it's a lot harder to stay and work things out than it is to leave. How many of you know that oftentimes when it's a lot harder to continue in those piano lessons practicing than to quit? I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands how many of you took piano lessons at one time and quit because there'd be a lot of hands here. But I believe that many of us in life, when our plans don't turn out the way we expected them, we allow the hijacker of bitterness to get on our plane. He becomes our passenger and in the beginning he looks benign doesn't cause a lot of turmoil but the longer he stays on our plane the worse he becomes and pretty soon this hijacker will consume our plane and will actually determine the destiny of our life and our plane and many of us will find ourselves in a terrible crash when we allow bitterness to infect our lives and get a hold of us. In fact, It tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble, and by it many are defiled. Now this verse talks about a root of bitterness. And I like the imagery here because what it says really is what happens is that bitterness starts out like a small root. It's very small. In fact, I run into people that... They tell me they've dealt with it already. And when they say they've dealt with it, it means that they're not angry anymore. But how many of you know that anger can turn to bitterness? And bitterness in the end is almost worse than anger. I say, well, have you dealt with the problem you had with your mother? Oh, yeah, we dealt with it. I'm not mad at her anymore. I just don't want to see her. What you're telling me is that you're not explosive anymore, but you've allowed that, you've cut down the plant of anger but you've allowed the root of bitterness to stay. At my house, a few years ago, we planted perennials. Now, perennials are these plants that every year they come up by themselves. And how many of you know when winter time comes, it looks like the plant's dead. But in springtime, I was just out. I was just in the yard by the side of the house, and I noticed that the perennials have begun to spring up again, although they look dead in the winter time. They're not dead because the root is still there. And under the right circumstances, it'll grow again. The only way to eliminate that plant is to get at the root. Some of you have eliminated the anger that was in your life, but you've not gotten at the root that's there, and there's a root of bitterness. And that root of bitterness is going to grow. And it's going to start infecting other areas of your life. In fact, the Bible says... That if you allow a root of bitterness to grow up, what it'll do, it'll crowd out areas in your life. It'll take away your joy. It'll take away your peace. And then it says, and by it, many are defiled. You know, there's that root of bitterness because you're angry at something that happened 20 years ago or five years ago. Or angry, angry at a husband that left you for another woman. Let me tell you, you don't deal with that anger. That root of bitterness is going to grow inside of you. And the Bible says it will defile many. Here's what I want you to know, mom, if you were abandoned and left by your husband, that unless you deal with that bitterness, that bitterness is going to splash over and it's going to affect your children. You see, it's going to defile them. That means it's going to stain them. It's going to affect their life. The same way that you can have a splash over effect of blessing, you can also have a splash over effect of bitterness. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that Joseph wasn't bitter? Well, because the Bible says, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. If you're bitter, you will not prosper. If you're bitter, the presence of God will not be with you. In fact, some of you could say, well, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to stay in this marriage, but I'm not going to like it. You may not quit, but you stay in your angry. Notice what happened in Joseph's life. It says, verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes, in his eyes, and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. Verse 5, from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in his field. I want you to hear me very well this morning. Some of you will short-circuit the blessing of God if you allow a bad attitude of unforgiveness or bitterness of self-pity to hijack your life.
1: Unforgiveness, bitterness, self-pity. They all want to hijack your life. But our choice to honor God first stands as a sure defense. You're listening to Moody Presents with Pastor Mark Job, President of the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. To find out more about the Institute, visit our website at moodypresents.org. That's moodypresents.org.
0: Joseph had been treated very unfairly. If anybody had a reason to be angry, it was Joseph. But Joseph decided, I will not wallow in bitterness or self-pity. I will move on with my life. Hello, move on. How long are you going to rehearse what happened ten years ago? Move on. How long are you going to be angry and simmering over what happened four years ago with your brother or sister over that inheritance? Move on. Joseph moved on. And the Bible says because he moved on, the blessing of God was upon him. And listen, I want to be in the the middle of the blessing of God. And because the blessing of God was upon him, the Bible says that everything that Joseph did prospered. In fact, it tells us that because Joseph was in Potiphar's house, that everything in Potiphar's house began to prosper because of Joseph. That's called the splashover effect. Have you ever done the cannonball in the middle of a swimming pool? You know what that is, right? Don't worry, I'm not going to do it here. But you kind of run and you grab your legs and splash. And when you, when you splash, it splashes everybody around. That's exactly what was happening with the blessing of Joseph. The Bible tells us that because God's hand was on him that everything he did prospered, and everything in Potiphar's house prospered, everything in his fields prospered, and everything that Potiphar owned prospered because Joseph was in the house. Now, what does that mean? It means that Potiphar's cows got fatter. It means that his fields got a little greener than the rest. Why? Not because he was any better, not because he was godly, but because Joseph was in the house. Let me tell you, when you're walking without bitterness, when you don't allow your channel to be clogged, wherever you go, you splash blessing. Your kids get blessed when you're walking in his presence. Your job gets blessed. Your neighborhood gets blessed. Your church gets blessed. Your home group leader gets blessed. Your marriage gets blessed. Your accountant gets blessed. Your tax guy gets blessed. Everywhere you go, you splash blessing. In fact, the Bible says, I believe that some of you, your business where you work at is doing good and staying afloat just because you work there. You say, well, write a letter to my boss and let him know. Well, he may not know that. He may not be aware. Potiphar didn't know why he was prospering. But the reason that he prospered was Joseph was in the house and the hand of God was upon Joseph And when the hand of God is upon someone, it brings the blessing of God. Now it continues to say, verse 6, So he left in Joseph's care everything that he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Isn't that great? Joseph was so good that he put everything in his hands. And all he worried about is whether he was going to have McDonald's or Burger King or Pizza Hut. All he worried about, is it spaghetti today or is it lasagna? He didn't worry about his accounting. He didn't worry about his job. He didn't worry about anything at all except what he was going to put on the plate that day. Now, some of you wish you had managers like that, right? The hand of God was on him, and you saw it in everything that he did. So the first thing that we need to guard against if our life is not going to be hijacked is you need to guard against the hijacker of bitterness. Secondly, and as equally devastating as the hijacker of bitterness, is the hijacker of temptation. Notice it tells us in the end of verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it's leading up to that. Verse 7, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. Now, how many of you know that sometimes when you're down and out and in rags and not doing good, no one takes notice? But as you start to succeed, as he was moving up the ladder, as he was a little bit more cleaned up, as he was prospering as he was gaining in confidence, then suddenly temptation kicks in because people start to notice him. And the Bible says that the wife suddenly took notice of this slave boy. Joseph was in the house and he was handsome and he was well built. And it says in verse seven that she said to him, come to bed with me. Now that's what I call the direct approach. She's not flirting. She's not beating around the bush. She's saying, hey, come to bed with me. Now, I want you to picture this for for a minute. I want you to think about this because Joseph's response to me is pretty incredible. In verse 8, it says, but he refused. In fact, not only did he refuse, but the Bible says that he said, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has trusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has himself nothing from me except you, his wife, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing, listen, and sin against God? Remember, Joseph is probably 17, 18 years old. He's handsome. He's well-built. His hormones are in high gear. He feels hurt, betrayed, lonely from his family. He's away from home, so there's no one to tell him, what are you doing? There's no one that'll know. Here's this powerful, beautiful woman that is directly approaching him. He didn't ask for it. She's coming after him. What in the world gave this guy the power to resist temptation? I think it was an internal power. I think it was that sense that God is here. And I may be able to get away with this at a human level, but I can never get away with it in the eyes of God. As I look at Joseph, I think he did a couple things right. How did he resist temptation? Number one, I think he was clear about his intentions up front. The Bible says that he refused And he said immediately, how could I sin against God? Can I tell you this? Some of us don't do very well with temptation because we're not clear up front. Sometimes instead of being very clear and saying, no, I'm not going to go there. I I believe in God. I could not sin. I'm a married man. I could not sin against God. Sometimes what we do is we flirt around with it. Well, that was nice. I'm flattered by that. Well, you know, under other circumstances, I would be very tempted, but, you know, not quite right now. And some of us don't make it very clear. You smile back. You hide your ring. You say, well, I would never fall. I'm not never going to do it. But no one really knows. You don't put the line in the sand. You're not up front about it. You don't refuse. And so the other person thinks there's a possibility there. You leave the door open. You toy with the options. Joseph was very clear. I will not sin against your husband, and I will not sin against God. I think the other thing that Joseph did is that it tells us here in verse 10, it says, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day. He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. How many of you know temptation is not a one-time thing? Temptation comes at you day after day after day after day after day. Someone says, oh, I beat temptation. Oh, yeah, for today you did. It's going to be bad. And some of us do well in the beginning, but you know when temptation keeps knocking and knocking and knocking, you say, well, what was happening there? Well, you know. It's like the workplace, the glances, the eyes, the come on, the innuendos, the you look good, you're not like my husband, the flirtation, the touch of the hand, the whispers, the glances, day after day, the invitations, And Joseph, the Bible says that Joseph, I love this, it says that Joseph ignored her. He stayed away from her. Listen, if you're in a, if you're at school and you're being bombarded with temptation or there's something, someone at work that really knows that you're a married person, but you know they're after you. Joseph was very clear about what he did. He ignored. He didn't engage. He didn't hang out. He didn't say, well, I'm a strong man of God. I'm just going to see how far I can go without really being tempted. He didn't hang out at the water cooler. He ignored her, the Bible says, that he did not go by her. He did not allow himself to be engaged or get caught in the web of what was happening. Some of us, you start out very well, and you know where you stand, but day after day, temptation comes your way. And maybe temptation sounds a little bit like this, for example, hey, my husband doesn't meet my needs like he could. What about, by doing this, you'll really prove that you care for me? Or who will find out anyways? We're completely alone. It's absolutely safe. No one will ever know. Or, hey, look, we're already going to be married soon anyway, so why wait? I mean, really, what does a piece of paper matter anyways? Or how about I'm so terribly lonely? I think God will understand. In fact, in fact, I think that God brought you to me at this time because he understands I'm lonely. I mean, how many of you know we can spiritualize temptation? Or, just once... Never, never, I'll never, 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 never ask you again just one time. Or, hey, what's grace about anyways? And the Bible says that she was after him day after day after day after day, but he ignored her. The third thing that Joseph did right, and I love this because I believe this is one of the best ways of fighting temptation. You want a sure way out of temptation? You said, Pastor, tell me, I'm going to give you the sure way out. If you are going to be mature, Spirit-led, full of wisdom, grounded in the Word, here's what you do. Run.
1: Well, we apologize for having to hit the pause button right there, but the clock says we need to do just that. However, there's more from the life of Joseph next time when we get together. Quick favor, would you mind sending us an email? Would you let us know how Pastor Mark Job's teaching is connecting with you? Our email address is moodypresents at moody.edu. That's moodypresents at moody.edu. I can promise you your thoughtful email will be the bright spot of our day. So send us a quick note at moodypresents at moody.edu. I'm John Gager. Thanks for listening to Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.